0: Take your Bible, stand with me. Luke chapter number two. Here we go, verse one. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be taxed with Mary, his espouse wife, being great with child, And so it was while they were there the days were accomplished that she should be delivered and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field keeping watch over their flock by night and lo the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid and the angel said unto them fear not for behold I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people for unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior which is Christ the Lord and this shall be a sign unto you ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory By the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things. And pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned. Glorifying and praising God. For all the things that they had heard and seen. As it was told unto them. Dear Father. Thank you for letting me read. That story. That changed the world. In these next just few moments dear God. I pray. That you will help me to. Give it out as you gave it to me. And Father, I pray that our hearts will be unified around your word, that you will have a sense of conviction within our hearts today. God, may we all give you free course and reign in our heart, set our minds on you. Father, I think that it is. Men stand and preach on these Sundays just before Christmas. People's minds are filled with thousands of things. God, could you just clear our minds for just a few minutes for right now and let us hear your word, what you have for us. For this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The passage that I just read in your hearing, many of you could probably quote all or most all. Of those verses. And the scenes that are depicted in this passage of scripture that I just read to you have been the inspiration for many Christmas cards. Cityscapes of Bethlehem, nativity scenes, shepherds, sheep, livestock, and stables. I look at these and I, I see in my mind's eye, I see pictures of hillsides and starry nights. And I see these images that are all portrayed and Christmas cards are a wonderful way to capture just in one image with a simple phrase, the very message of what Christmas is about. A Christmas card can spark hope, evoke feelings of family, at least, you know, family you like, but family and loved ones and faraway places and things that have great memory to you. Probably, maybe by show of hands, how many of you either given or gotten a Christmas card this year? It's it's something that can't be replaced with email. Agreed? You know I'm an electronic type guy, but a Christmas card is different. That one's got to be the real deal. Now, there are things I like about Christmas cards. I like the ones that say Merry Christmas. I don't like the ones that say Season's Greetings. I don't like the ones that say Happy Holidays. And I don't like glitter. Makes a mess. Just makes a mess. You know, a grown man gets a card with glitter. Then he wipes his head. And the next thing you know, Jimmy's kissing him. (laughs) Well, that's the gift that keeps on giving, Brother Rutledge. I'm going to tell you. But God gave humanity a Christmas card. God's Christmas card to humanity, it's a mural. Do you know what a mural is? A very wide picture. A picture that tells a story. On the far left side, God's Christmas card is an image. And it starts in a garden. The very, very end of that Christmas card That mural ends in a garden with an empty tomb. And on God's mural that we unroll before your eyes today, I plan on preaching about 4,000 years of human history. We'll be out before the Waffle House closes. Say amen, Blaine. Has Brother Jimmy been kissing you? I saw that little movement with your hand preacher I'm going to tell you we got some I'm, I'm switching gears on Christmas but in these 4000 year mural that we're looking at which is God's Christmas card to humanity it all starts right here Earth's two citizens the sole two human beings stand in a garden and they've sinned you say, well, how, how could a Christmas card start in a garden, end in a garden, the beginning of the mural of God begins, and it's a place of despair? But wherever sin is, is always a place of despair. And the hearts are sick because all that has taken place at that end of the mural is where man has sinned, and sin has become between God and man, and God stands and is recorded for us. In Genesis, in the third chapter, in the 15th verse, he said, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and the next words. It's the first marker on God's Christmas card to humanity. For he says, between thy seed and her seed. You read that and you just know biologically speaking and genetically speaking, She does not have seed. But God stood there at the very beginning of this Christmas card and raised a telescope that would say, I can see 4,000 years from now in human time that there will come my son. The seed of God will come through Mary. And from that point, men will have a redeemer available to them. God's Christmas card starts here it's a sad beginning mournful and woeful because every child that comes from this family will be stained with sin eve was deceived but adam chose to eat it god held adam accountable for that and because god held adam accountable we all are accountable for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For as by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. So that death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. You say, boy, that sounds powerful. Uh, that's the Bible, Romans 5, 12. That, I didn't make that up. That's scripture. And so here God stands and he, he is standing before man. And, and now these two will have children. Oh, she's going to have pain and childbirth. Why? Sin. In the first home, one fourth of the world's population will be eliminated. A brother kills a brother. Only four people on earth. <laughs> yes, ma'am, without a gun. Now we're down to three. Sin. And then the stain of sin travels down the river of humanity and along the way God has set up men who will stand both as patriarchs and prophets, men who will hold the pen in the Psalms, psalmists and patriarchs and prophets, and they will stand and raise the banner high and say, but there is coming a day, though the stain of sin is affecting humanity, God cared about humanity enough to say, I will redeem them. Abraham Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, these men were given a promise that from them all the nations of the earth would be blessed and these men would continue that promise on and then you have men in the Psalms who begin to write about a Messiah who would come even at the end of Genesis chapter 49 and verse number 10 God declares through one of his to say, through um, uh, the patriarch. Jacob, he will say that the scepter will not depart out of Judah until Shiloh, capital S, Shiloh, Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, The anointed one will come. He was promised to come. And God, though he stood at the beginning of God's Christmas card to humanity, while man sinned, God saw all along the way that there would be a redeemer for mankind. And all along the way, he gets a patriarch to say, Shiloh is coming. A few hundred years and thousands of years passed. Moses in the second giving of the law talks about how there would be a redeemer who would come. David will write. Other psalmists will write. And they'll talk about the Messiah who will come. Then 700 years before an angel will show up and talk to Mary. Isaiah stands with God's Christmas card and says, I got something for you. Behold, A virgin shall conceive, shall bring forth a son, and his name be what? Emmanuel. God with us two chapters later in the midst of Israel's despair as exile is is pending on them and the powers of being in captivity are there and they recognize those things Isaiah stands with a message of hope and says for unto us chapter 9 verse 6 unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called wonderful counselor the mighty God the everlasting father the prince of peace the government will be upon his shoulders. That's the Messiah that was promised as the seed of woman. And all along the way, God has been putting in the mural of humanity pictures to say, I will perform this even at the end. If you look at 9, um, 6 of Isaiah chapter 9 and uh, 6, 7, probably verse 8, it says, uh, 7, it says, The zeal of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. There's a subtext underneath this mural. There's an underlying current for all along the way Satan has been involved trying to thwart the plan of God. And it's the zeal of the Lord of hosts that will perform the fact that there will be a virgin and she will bring forth a son and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince. And as Satan is at work, I'll show you how he's at work. If you read the genealogies, which some of you skip, so-and-so begat so-and-so and begat so-and-so and you say, so? But that tells the story how Satan attacked and attacked and attacked to stop the bloodline of Christ. In Matthew's account of the genealogies, there are five women that are mentioned. Five. Two are prostitutes. One is an adulterer. One is a foreigner. And the other, the fifth one, is one who found favor with God. Make no mistake that the fifth woman who was Mary who bore Christ was the one who marked grace all along the way of prostitutes and adulterers and foreigners. God included all of them. And each of those showed up in the line of Christ. Why? One, to demonstrate that he is going to save whosoever will. Number one. Number two, it's going to demonstrate the fact that God has used his zeal to perform that which he promised through his prophets. And now here we have the mural of God, intersections where God has lined up prophets and priests and patriarchs and psalmists to tell the story that Jesus Christ would come. And Isaiah's there and he gets to tell this story. there in the midst of despair in Israel and now they hear about the promise of a Messiah that is going to be coming. 700 years more would pass but not before we would hear from a prophet named Micah. And he'll say, but thou Bethlehem of Ephrata, Ephrata, old school name for Bethlehem, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, talking about villages, communities, cities, towns, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel's, whose going forth have been from old and from everlasting." Micah, this prophet, and he not alone for Zechariah and Jeremiah would also speak of the Messiah that would come, but just kind of skipping across this timeline. By the way, if you're keeping track, I've gone almost 4,000 years of human history, but that doesn't mean the message is ended because I'm just introduction because I have three points to give you, but I don't have a poem. And so in this timeline as it's coming across and we get to Micah and he stands there and God gives him this and says, Hey, Bethlehem, God hasn't forgotten you from you will come just because David is gone. That's the hometown of David. Just because David's gone, God hasn't forgotten. Right. Micah, Malachi will mention the one who will come. <clears throat> and then we get to 400 years where God says nothing. That's 10% of my 4,000-year 4, timeline. 400 years, God says nothing. No word from God. But are God's promises still Sure in times of darkness? Is God's word still sure in times of silence? When the battle is heated or when the battle is cooled? When tough times come or when tough times go? We know God's promises are sure. We know God's promises have truth. For God's word is true. And so no word comes until we get to the genealogies in Matthew. He'll cover 42 generations, 42 family groupings. Luke will do the same thing, but he'll cover 76 families. Matthew will cover from Abraham to Christ. And Luke will do it backwards. And he'll cover everyone from Christ to Abraham to Adam. So we get 76 family groupings that are listed there. I mentioned the five women that are there and there are countless others. Of times when you read those names and you go back and you say why is that name there? And you go back and you see whatever sin or grace was administered in that moment of sin and how Satan tried to thwart the plan of God but the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. God will see to it that man who stood in the garden in sin, that man will have a redeemer, a sovereign God will stop the very plan of Satan who would try to kinder, the salvation of man from taking place. Bring your Christmas cards, glitter and all you got. But we're showing you today God's Christmas card to humanity is a 4,000 year timeline filled with images of great things that took place out of simple ordinary people. You know, now we're in the room of Joseph. He's engaged you know. It's Mary's in his head all the time young man in love. All he can think about is the girl to whom he's espoused. They're going to get married soon. It's been arranged. Mary is from the same family heritage of Joseph going all the way back. Each genealogy shows they both are in the line of David, double qualified to be the line of Christ. Christ. Joseph's in his room on one side of town. She's in her room in another side of town. Angel shows up. Joseph, don't be afraid. Mary's going to give birth to Jesus. That's huge. For 4,000 years, every Jewish family heard the Messiah would come. And sadly today, people who are Jewish today... Orthodox Jews still believe the Messiah is yet to come. They don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They're still looking. This is part of their very culture. And he says, Joseph, it's you. Mary, the one to whom you're espoused, she is with child, not of man, of the Holy Ghost. Don't let Hollywood's Hollywood or scientists try to explain this away, don't accept human teaching that says that this is impossible. This is a miracle of God. The Holy Ghost overshadowed her in not some sensual type act as some would say, but he overshowered. He is God. He can do this. He doesn't need science's explanation. He doesn't need Hollywood to depict it. He's just God. And he on one side of town and she on the other side of town have angels coming and telling them these things and they listen and realize the silence from heaven is broken. The Messiah is coming in our lifetime and God used patriarchs and prophets and psalmists and priests to declare this moment and it now intersects within my apartment right here. God has sent his message and said, the Redeemer's here. that's a Christmas card that's a beautiful image problem they're in the wrong place they're both not where they're supposed to be in order for this to match up with Scripture we got to get them to Bethlehem they're both in Nazareth we got to get them to take a trip how are we gonna do that did God mess up of course not The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and as the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. So he gets a greedy king and says, let's have a taxation. Everybody come for a census and taxing. Things hadn't changed much, had they? (laughs) Uh, Anyhow, without physical cliffs, they make their move. Why? Because God's hand is directing this, the zeal of the Lord will perform this and so because of the greed of leaders and Cyrenius was governor all the in Syria we know all these things they begin to move they say well Mary I know you're great with child now traveling for Mary we know she went to see Elizabeth and she took an eight-hour journey and did it shorter in shorter time than would it ordinarily have been the Bible said she came with haste there she was expecting and traveling we know this is a great journey for her to make She's already traveled a distance once, a 25-mile journey, in lickety-split time, which is, um, that's directly translated from the Greek, by the way, lickety-split. Just kidding. Y'all sang in Latin. I can say something about the Greek, right? Okay. Some of y'all didn't know that was Latin, did you? In excelsis day, I always wondered what that meant. Well, read up there. That's about close to it. For his glory, the glory to God in the highest, same thing. Now I'm doing Latin classes. You kissed me and life changed for me, Jimmy. i gotta get, I got to get back to the shower. I'd use shampoo, but it won't help. Hang in there with me. And so God takes this, and nearing the end of this mural, Mary and Joseph makes this journey, except she's due, and she's got to make this journey. Whether on beast or walking, she comes to town. And in that poetic moment where the innkeeper had no room, the, when we've told the story, we've made it sound like the innkeeper had malice, there was no room. We don't know. I mean, how do you make reservations? I like you get on Hotels.com and say, hey, we're coming, my donkey later. Right? There was just no room. Everybody was in town. There was no place to stay. And God chooses to let that be a metaphor, a word picture to show how the world will have no room for this Messiah. They're hustled off to the only place that innkeeper could find, but it was by divine appointment. God chose this. He would not arrive in opulence and splendor. No, he would arrive in humility and swaddling clothes. Around him will be His earthly, the male earthly father, if you'll allow me to say that, although we understand that he is not the father, but the man who would be raising him and his mother, Mary. And there's the baby. Livestock around, I'm sure. Just outside the hillside, some shepherds are going to have a lifetime changing event take place in just seconds. An angel will show up. And he'll tell them something that they will never forget children and grandchildren would be born after this and they would tell this story. We were out there watching sheep one night. All of a sudden, the lights came on. The glory of the Lord shone round about and we were scared to death. And the angel came and said, Fear not, for I, behold, I bring you good tidings and great joy which shall be all people. As if that wasn't enough, then a multitude of the heavenly hosts showed up with one chorus of voices and said... Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. A few hundred miles away, some very wise men are somewhere in northern Iraq, southwestern Turkey. They call, are called magi, guys who studied the stars. Simultaneous things are taking place around the world. And they said, I have never seen that star before. Look at it. it is, it's like it's just settled over that way. And these men chart a course that would take them somewhere between a year or so to get there to be able to see what was this star all about. That is the picture on the outside of God's Christmas card. But with every Christmas card, There's a picture on the outside and then what's on the inside? There's a little message. Here's your little message. What does the inside of God's Christmas card say? Go with me to the book of John chapter 3. I want you to look at verse number 16. John chapter 3. The outside of God's Christmas card is a mural filled with images of God's grace, his goodness, the stain of sin, the attacks of Satan, a beautiful story of bringing people together. And now what does the message of God's Christmas card say? Would you mind reading it aloud with me? Probably most of you could quote it, but would you read it? John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If I could tell you that the Christmas card of God had a message on the inside, a mural on the outside, and a message on the inside, the message would just simply give you six words. Number one, God loved. For is that not the very message of Christmas? For we note what the verse says. For God so loved the world. The message of Christmas is this. It's more than just a pretty image that evokes a a wonderful uh, empathetic feeling within us, or to say an emotional response that makes us think of family and friends and distant places and good times in the past. The message of Christmas inside of God's Christmas card, behind that mural of God's grace is this. God loves Christmas. The world. You see, but Brother O'Malley, the outside of that card reminds me that the world sinned, that the world, that the world strayed, that the world has sunk in depravity. And I'll tell you, on the inside of that card, it'll tell you God loves you anyway. For God so loved the world. He loved its places. He loved its people. But most of all, He loved its potential. He saw not what we were, but what we could become. Yeah. The second, second set of words that I would show you in God's Christmas card would be not just that God loved. Second thing, God gave. For God so loved the world that he gave. God loved, number one. Number two, God gave. May I point this out? You can take uh, exception with me if you will on this. Pastor, I believe that when God gave, we we know God loved. Because loving always prompts giving. The lack of giving is always traced to the lack of loving. When there is no loving, there is no giving. And when there's no giving, you can trace it right back, there's no loving. But I look at this and I realize that the first Christmas gift... God giving Jesus was also the first Christmas, not just the first Christmas gift, but it was also the first missions offering. Think about it. God gave Jesus. That's the first missions offering. Now, of course, as a missions guy, I got to throw that in there, but that's a little extra you can munch on that for a while. God gave. What did he give? Something that was precious. Something that was priceless. Something that was personal to him. But most of all, It was something that was powerful because the only thing that could go back to this point on the timeline, the very far right, far left side of the mural of God was the stain of sin. And the only thing that could fix that, God looked at the timeline of man and says, I love them. So what did he do? He gave to them. What did he give? Something that was personal, something that was precious, something that was priceless, but something that was powerful because his son, Jesus Christ, is the only one that could repair this breach. The only one that stood between God and man was the man, Christ Jesus. And so Jesus, God gave his son, Jesus Christ, to save the world. So I look at the inside of God's Christmas card. Number one, it says God loved, period. Second line, God gave. Period. Third thing, last two words, God promised. Notice what it says: that whosoever shall believe, whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. Believe that would be a double promise, would it not be? But have everlasting life, shall not perish. What does that mean? God promised to deliver anyone who would believe. say, well, Brother O'Malley, I've really heard smart people say that it's not, that doesn't really mean everybody. Well, as kindly as I know how, in the spirit of Christmas, I can tell you this, they're wrong! Just thought I'd help you. God will save all. Everyone who believes, He'll save them. You say, are you sure? I'm just going to go with what the book says. Y'all may sing in Latin, but I'm going to preach in English. God promised to deliver for whosoever. God promised to deliver from death. God promised to deliver into life everlasting with him. You know, what would really be exciting this morning is to be here and have heard this and to say, you know what? I kind of understand the whole Christmas thing better but I didn't realize God would save me I mean I'm into the whole baby and the nativity thing and I love you know I love the whole concept of Christmas but the very fact that God loved me and God gave his son for me and God promised to save me I didn't know that well you can know that today today two days before Christmas What a thrill that would be to have someone come to this what we call altar area to the front of the church and have someone show you from the word of God how you can know for sure you're going to heaven when you die. Because the message of Christmas is God loved, God gave, God promised. Do you know if you were to die today that you would go to heaven? People who can say yes to that are the same people who said, Jesus Christ, I know, died on the cross for my sin. I accepted him as my savior. God loved. God gave. And God promised eternal life to me. Would you stand with me?